The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. So nice to have you back for one more time. This is Mike here with Afternoons with Mike, heard daily on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me today on the phone from Palm Beach County, Marina Hoffman Willard, Dr. Hoffman, uh, as she would be known. In her writing, she is just known as Marina Hoffman, but it uh, is a real joy to have her back with us again today. She is a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and uh, it is always a joy to have you back on the program, Marina. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, you know what? Uh, you, you, you and I have talked about many things over the last couple of years, things like uh, some of the Bible characters from your Bible study that you've written, and uh, what I had invited Marina on today to talk about is something that I know is very near and dear to her heart, as it is just about every person's heart, and that's Mother's Day coming up this coming Sunday. Hard to believe that it is here, and almost here anyway. And Marina, I know that one of the things that I remember from your story was a deep, deep-seated desire to be a mom, but it was a, a period of time that it looked like you were not going to be able to do that, right? It's true. I think that every life, in the sense that it's life from nothing, is a gift from God, but certainly had a lot of obstacles and limitations. I was in a massive car crash that really did a number to my body, and the doctors were very hopeless. So for me, being a mother, every day I remember the blessing of having a child just because it was so unlikely. And in that sense, Mike, I feel that it's a miracle, really, that I was able to have a child. What was your relationship with your own mom like, Marina? She, in some senses, was a lot like me. She stayed at home and raised us until we were all in high school. So I think that gave me a a beautiful grounding in the value of family. And she's a woman of faith. So she grounded us in faith as well. And I suppose like everyone else, you, you hate your teenage years and you think your mom knows nothing and you know everything. But thankfully, uh, as I got into my mid twenties, I began to appreciate her so much more and the sacrifice she made to raise us a huge sacrifice financially and then, as I mentioned, my car crashed. You know, she really was there for you. And I think sometimes, Mike, the trials we go through in families, whatever they are, you really realize who are the people that will always be there for you. And some friends are like that. But certainly what a blessing when you have a mom or a dad or a sibling who is there for you through the dark days unceasingly. And that was really my mom. When we had our car crash, people came and helped us for weeks, but she helped us for many, many months. Yeah, and they just, uh, it's like their life goes on hold on all the normal things that they'd be doing just to help, just to serve. Isn't that right? That's right. In my case, my mom trekked across town two hours each way on Friday afternoon and, and lived with us until Monday afternoon. So every weekend for many months was taken up and she was away from her husband. So she made a great sacrifice, but she never complained. She really saw it as a blessing to be there for us and in many sense to be a life giver as we struggled just to survive. So it's a beautiful thing. I think we can all take advantage of the people in our family, but how beautiful when we go through trials. And one of the benefits is growing close to those who care for us and love us and realizing how much they really do love us. You know, when you mentioned earlier that there was a time, and, and like many people have this happen in their life, they get to high school, like what you are saying, and suddenly the opinion about how much our parents know uh, kind of goes down a little bit. And I, I'm just wondering, how did your mom respond during that season of your life when it seemed like you were not necessarily uh, really listening to her? Well, I think in part I don't know because I didn't really care and observe it, but I I do know she was there to the end. She put up with all the emotions of my teenage years, 
And she just stayed strong. She never gave up praying for me or gave up on her love and care for me. And I think that is what stands out the most to me. And, you know, um, I think also there's an important point that I don't think it's necessarily natural for teenagers to go through that stage. I think a lot of times the schools try and separate us. I remember that in high school I learned so many things that in a sense were beyond my parents' knowledge. And what a separation that was. It made me distrust them. My mom couldn't help me with my homework anymore. And looking back on it, Mike, those things were not important to life. And it was no big deal that I knew about science and math and these things. So I think, again, that there's so many forces against us. But how beautiful to have parents of faith who stick by their children and never let go. I agree completely. Now, you're teaching as a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University there in West Palm Beach. And I know that's a Christian school. And yet many kids who are a part of colleges, universities today, they are experiencing exactly what you're saying. An all out, it would appear to be an all out war against the family. And the aim would be separating any parental control. Sadly, it's not just universities. It's going all the way into elementary schools. And a lot of the goal, I mean, this whole thing with the transgendered movement, uh, transgendered kids who are, are transitioning, uh, and <laughs> not even the parents are not even being contacted about it. It, it is a, a definite negative trend in our society, right? Yes, and you know, my husband was telling me just this morning about a school that's no longer going to acknowledge Mother's Day or have any kind of celebration or craft time in the school about it. So I think there, there's been a push for many decades against family. And I think maybe we're having our eyes open to it more and more because the pendulum is swinging way too far for, you know, people of faith to be comfortable with and how important for us to stick by it. And, you know, it, it's in a school system, Mike, it's everywhere, but I think sometimes in our own family. And by that, I mean, when we put our kids in front of electronics all day and we want quiet time, so we let them watch movies and TV all night, Mike, I humbly say, I think all of us a little bit can contribute to the breakdown in our own family if we're not investing every minute we have with our children to impart into them the values of family and, of course, our faith. So I think it's something for us all to watch with because we can combat outsized forces, but it means that the family itself has to be stronger than ever. I agree completely. That sense of complicitness by the part of families, it's out of convenience, isn't it? I mean, it's just kind of a natural thing. We live in a world of uh, a pleasure. Uh, uh, sadly, there's a lot of us that want our own convenience, our own comfort. And sometimes the children are the ones that are paying the ultimate price because they're just being given a, a tablet, a phone, uh, and we they don't have our interaction. And they're going to have the interaction of the world, and the world is all too ready to come up and sow seeds of uh, their destruction, basically, in that child's mind. So it is something that I, I believe I'm hearing you completely. And I think that all of us should be listening to this signal. We've got to understand that we have a role, all parents, moms and dads, we have a role in uh, the breakdown of what's going on in our culture today. We've got to repent of that and get back in the game as parents. Yeah. And you talk about convenience. It's huge. I think another factor is fatigue. I mean, parents, adults, all of us, we are working so hard to get the money to afford what our family needs. And many people, it's not wants, it's just needs in today's world. But at the end of the day, we are exhausted. So it's so much easier to let the TV entertain our children because we're just tired at the end of the day, every day. And there are many factors leading to that. And I think also there's a sense of not really realizing how important those moments are with our kids, even when things aren't seemingly not ideal. Mm -hmm. I know when my daughter and I butt heads over whether or not she can have ice cream at 7 p.m. And I don't know why we argue, Mike, because every day the answer is no. <laughs> um, you know, those moments where I teach her about negotiating and about accepting what mom says 
and about looking forward to having maybe ice cream the next afternoon. All these little things seem insignificant in the moment, but we're training our children to be responsible adults, responsible people, to take our hardships to the Lord in prayer, or to simply, you know, deal with all the things we will deal with in life. And if we don't teach them, Mike, who's going to teach them these things? Because it's not fair to think a teacher with 30 kids in the classroom can possibly give these life lessons to our little ones. I agree completely. Uh, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering, who is this wise voice coming over Mike's show? It is Marina Hoffman, Dr. Marina Hoffman from Palm Beach Atlantic University, an author, a speaker, uh, obviously a professor, and she has this a way, I believe, of just kind of like unlocking what a lot of us are needing to hear about the responsibility, about, uh, in this case, in this conversation about Mom's Day coming up on Sunday, and our culture's attempts to kind of break that whole thing down, the whole family scenario. And, you know, I, I think back to a, a crazy uh, notion that sounded crazy to me in the beginning, and I, I can't believe how much... It has been bought into, and that was when Hillary Clinton came up with the, the thought of it takes a village to raise a child. We all know the benefit of community in a church, and I believe that is important. But my goodness, I don't want the village, uh, the secular world, uh, raising my child. I, I don't want that. I don't. Uh, I, I never wanted that. I would pray that every mom and dad listening today would say, you know, I'm going to be involved. And, you know, Dr. Hoffman, we saw this happen, did we not, in Loudoun, Kentucky. Uh, I'm sorry, Loudoun, uh, 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 Virginia. There we go. Up in Loudoun, when the parents were refusing, they were refusing to let the school boards continue to dictate what was going on and what they had to do. And they, they made a difference in that area. Up in Virginia, we need to stand up. It does take courage, doesn't it? Yes, and you know, what is the definition of a village? I think in the definition you're saying, which is most accurate, the people all around us know that is not what we want. But on the other hand, creating, as it were, a mini village, a tight community of people that share our values, that's essential. So I think you make the two points of not allowing all the influences around us to impact our children, but then also gathering together with the people who will stand by our side to fight for truth and freedom and parental rights as we see them, I think that's also important. And in my own situation, my family lives in Canada, so I haven't had the the help that a lot of people do. I haven't been surrounded by family. So I think I know maybe more than others how really important it is to have close friends and a community of like-minded people. And, and you allude to this, Mike, the power of being together and standing up for your children is so much stronger than trying to struggle on our own. I agree completely. When Cindy and I moved down to Florida in 1985, we left all of our family members up in that part of the country, up in southern Indiana, western Kentucky, and our community at our local church became those substitute family members. And we had a number of people. I had a recent guest on the program where her uh, grandfather was kind of like a standing grandfather for my kids. I worked for him at the time and it was just an amazing uh, benefit to have people like that. So there is a role, there is a role for a community. And that's why I mentioned early on, we need the community of the church uh, that's certain, and it really does uh, fill up the gap, especially when they're like what we were with our families miles and miles away. Yeah, Mike, I think you'll you'll resonate with this. It's interesting that we're having this conversation with Mother's Day so close because I think we've all had people in our life who were so close to us that for a time they were like family. And I think one thing I've learned in life just in the years that pass is many people do come and go, but how beautiful when God gives us people for a time, whether months or a few years, who love us as a family member who are there for us. And that reminds me of Mother's Day because how beautiful to have our mothers and what a blessing also to have people who take the place of a mother and show us a mother's love, even 
though they may not be related to us. And again, what a gift of community and the strength and power that we find when God gives us those precious people in our lives. Right. Now, you mentioned your mom and the help that she was to you after that accident. Do you still have her today? Is she still alive? Yes, she lives in Canada, so I don't see her too often, but she's a daily presence in my daughter's life because she has a home phone, like a landline, so she has the freedom to call multiple times a day if she wants. Oh, that's great. And, you know, with the advent of iPhones and uh, other types of devices where you can actually do a video call and it not be so expensive, I'm when we moved down here, my goodness, uh, my phone bill, back then you had to pay landline charges for all long distance and i would have a hundred dollar long distance bills uh just on my phone just to talk with our parents kids today don't realize how they have it made do they yeah that's right we would all we all watch the clock knowing that you know do you want to call for ten dollars worth or twenty dollars worth and I think there was a sense that you didn't just take that call casually, but you were on a mission to connect, to share your life, to hear how they were. And those moments that you had were precious. They really were precious. And I'm thankful that we had at least that. But I'm just uh, so grateful. I have a son now that lives in Texas. And the ability to connect, it's not as nice as being in the same room but it's uh, a lot better than what it used to be just over the phone. So, uh, you know, Marina, there was a time when uh, landlines were the name of the game. There weren't cell phones. And the number one dialing day on Ma Bell's phone system was Mother's Day. And that's the day more so than any other day of the year that people would get on the phone and call their moms. And I I wish that that one uh, aspect would still be here today. I would pray that this is the busiest cell day or the busiest FaceTime day or whatever that people will connect. Because I tell you, I lost my mom one year ago and it was uh, just almost to the day she died on May 4th. And how I wish, how many times this past year, Marina, I've longed to be able to pick up the phone and just call her again. And so I, I tell you, it, it's something that I w- I'm going to preach it this week Hey, call your mom, get in touch with her, talk about the weather, talk about anything you need to talk about, but enjoy your mom while you've got her, right? Absolutely. And I think so many of us can look back and see the mistakes that mom made and the negative influences because no one is flawless. We're all human and we all have experiences and we're all growing. But what a perfect time to reflect on all the good our mothers did and to thank them simply for being there, for caring and for loving us in the way that they felt was best. You know what, we're going to be talking with Marina Moore in the next segment about uh, the Bible and things that she's learned about moms and, and strong ladies in the Bible. This is a conversation today that you're listening to with Dr. Marina Hoffman, and she is from the Palm Beach Atlantic University down in West Palm Beach. I'll be back with Marina coming up in just a moment. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs with over 40 years experience. EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. On the line with me for today's program, Now, the first two segments is Dr. Marina Hoffman. Marina Hoffman-Willard from the West Palm Beach area, West Palm Beach, uh, obviously home to Palm Beach Atlantic University. They also have an Orlando campus, but uh, you are down. And uh, I know, tell us what, again, is your uh, area that you teach down there? 
I teach in the Bible and theology department. That's right. So you got this wonderful degree, and I know that uh, we've talked about it before, that accident almost kind of messed up your abilities to, to continue. I mean, it was a uh, a serious head injury that you had, and, and the ability, I mean, again, not only to have a child, which God gave you that, that wonderful gift of being a mom, but uh, you also almost lost this other love of your life, which was teaching, and uh, particularly the Word of God. So uh, I'm just grateful that God spared you, and uh, your story is so inspiring, uh, one of faith. And that's what I like about uh, when the times we get to talk, because you always have this sense of uh, of knowing what it is that God has allowed you to have, and you don't seem to take any of that for granted. And I'm so grateful for that, Marina. Well, thank you. Well, let's talk for a moment about one of your loves, and that I know you have done a lot of study in the Bible, uh, particularly on women in the Bible. You've studied the characters, and along with that, obviously, there are a lot of moms that made a real difference in the Bible. So in honor of this day coming up this coming Sunday, Mother's Day, what would be some of the characters that come to mind when you think of women in the Bible? Well, I think the most famous mother, of course, is Mary. And, um, you know, the focus on Christmas story is lovely. So we know, you know, your listeners know about the Christmas story and how God comes to her. She's such a special and anointed mother. But I think another scene in her life that I really love, Mike, um, is the scene at the wedding in Cana. And, you know, you could interpret it in different ways. But, Mike, I think on the surface, you have the scene where Jesus is an adult, and he's a son, and he is told by his mother to work a miracle, and he says no. And basically, she says, yes, mother knows best. Go ahead and do it. And he does. So I think it's just startling to think that the Son of God says no to his mother, but his mother insists, and he actually (laughs) surrenders to her will and does it. And of course, we can assume that it's also from the Lord, right? It's God the Father oh, yeah. speaking through his mom. But on the surface, I think it's wonderful that even Jesus had to listen to his mother, and his mother was right. You know, that's a great story. And if anyone has seen that depicted in the movie Chosen, they do such a marvelous job with that in uh, the, the whole depiction of that story. And I, it's one of my favorites. Now, another mom that comes to my mind, and I'm sure... You've studied her as well, and that's Samuel's mom, Hannah, right? Yes. What an incredible beginning of the the life of Samuel. Here, her his mother cannot have a child, and she's agonizing over it because there's another wife in the home, and the Bible tells us over and over repeatedly about all her children and all her sons and all her daughters, and it creates this scene where this poor woman is childless with all these other children running around. And so you can get a sense of her isolation, but it's pointed when she goes to the temple and prays, because here's a very long scene in scripture with just her and the Lord, and she's praying and she's pouring out her heart. The priest comes by and he thinks she's drunk, not realizing she's actually praying so wholeheartedly that she's emotional. And then she trusts God because she gets up and she her face is no longer downcast after she prays for a son or a child. And she eats and drinks and goes on her way. And Mike, to me, that's such an incredible picture of faith. It what is. a woman to pray for a child and there's no way God could have answered while she's there on the altar praying. And yet she has so much faith that she leaves as though the answer is to, is sure. And then we see that she does have a son, and to look at her son, to see the prophet Samuel and all he is, in my interpretation, Mike, is a reflection of his mother. I I can give a couple examples. We know that Hannah was a beautiful woman of prayer, and we see Samuel is a man of prayer. We see the close relationship in this dialogue between Hannah and the Lord, and we see Samuel talking to the Lord. We see righteousness and humility and leadership reflected in both of them. So I think it's a 
it's a very inspiring and a high call for women to follow in the steps of Hannah and to dedicate motherhood to the Lord from the very beginning, knowing that God can do something great and leave a mighty legacy through our children if we're faithful and commit our motherhood to the Lord. And not only that, but to commit that child that she had longed for and to do what she did to present him to Eli and really just kind of giving him over uh, to the temple. Uh, You know that had to be a hard thing. It had to be a very, as emotional as Hannah had been, that was no small feat of faith to be able to do that. Yes, it's almost unthinkable to me. I can't imagine even sending my daughter to school. As you know, I homeschool. I can't even imagine sending her to kindergarten, never mind giving a young child up to the service of the Lord. But she makes this sacrifice, and God blesses her, and God blesses Samuel, the son, and God blesses an entire nation through her sacrifice of dedicating this son to the Lord, who was used mightily by God to bring salvation to people. What a great story. Now, there's one more that comes to my mind that I wanted to get your thoughts on as well, and that is the incredible love shown for her son by the mother of Moses. Now, that we don't know as many details about her life as we know about Hannah, but we do know some. And she loved her son enough that she wasn't willing uh, to give him up so easily And uh, she did take him to the river, (laughs) but not like what was happening to the other young men, right? Yes, what a sacrifice. I mean, to be caught in a place where, by law, your son should be murdered, and then to give him up to a river. And I think in the pictures we've all seen, Mike, the river looks so lovely with flowers and trees, but there was likely crocodiles and all kinds of other predators in those waters. So. What a moment, an unbearable moment that she gives up her son, and yet in the economy of the way God works and his kingdom on earth, she gives up this son, and the son comes back to her in a most miraculous and unlikely way. So again, I think it shows the principle for all of us that we can find ourselves in great hardship and with impossible choices to make, but God is with us. And God is working out a plan so many times, Mike, that we truly can't see. And in that sense, it's more than we could even ask or imagine. But if we're willing to be patient and wait, because sometimes it takes years. I think we can, all of us who are older in the faith can say, sometimes to see God's hand takes years. But in the decades that followed, Moses, of course, brings the salvation and deliverance to all the people of Israel and is there for the beginning of really their nation in terms of giving the law. So it's a mighty story of God working through Moses' life and how beautiful to see the sacrifice of his mother and the blessing that that child is returned to her. What we see in all these characters that you've mentioned is just that, the willingness on the part of the mom to sacrifice what she would want, maybe her own comfort and her own desires for the greater good of God. And I think that's something that every woman that is listening today that is a mom, I pray that they can understand the joy that these women in the Bible received, even though they're the parting, if you will, with her son is what I'm sure Hannah felt when she gave Samuel over to Eli. I'm sure that there was some of that uh, momentary tear and um, heartache that was brought. But I tell you, when you do what you've been called to do by God, and you're faithful, and you're courageous, and you're willing, and you you follow through, at some point there's going to be that kind of uh, reckoning that you did what was right. Yes, and I think it's important to add that the sacrifices we're talking about in these three mothers was huge, Um, probably greater than many of us will face in life, and yet we can choose the road of sacrifice even in the small ways, right, Mike, the day-to-day sacrifice of putting ourselves first to spend time with our children, investing in their lives, sitting with them while they do their homework, while they're learning, reading to them at night, praying with them at night, you know, taking the long road of discipline, right? Explaining things, explaining God's plan for our life and how it fits into our day-to-day. And I think those 
small sacrifices that we are all called to on the day-to-day are just as important as the bigger decisions and the bigger sacrifices we'll face. And, you know, those small things all add up to a, a life of faithfulness, and that's a huge thing. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it is so easy for a lot of moms. I know this is something that we encountered ourselves. When a mom is raising her children, it's really difficult to see the end of that season. Because the kids, I mean, let's face it, the day is broken down to hours, the hours, minutes, and some of those minutes can feel like they're very long. And things that they go through, moms go through on a day-to-day basis, it seems to be very difficult. And it is hard. It really is hard to think of that the day will come where that season of responsibility, that season of caring for their kids is going to be over. It's really hard to see that, isn't it? It is. And I remember when I had a brand new baby, so, so tiny. And I didn't really know, Mike, that you're not supposed to take babies out. I had never heard that. So we went everywhere with her. (laughs) We went out every night to go for walks and everything. I kept seeing people, especially grandparent age, tell me, oh, you know, appreciate every minute the time flies. And Mike, it was said to me three or four times every day that she was only weeks old when I took it to the Lord in prayer. And so I said, God, this is the endless advice given to me. So I think I better take it and help me to make every day matter and to appreciate every day. And Mike, it was so true. The time flies. And I think as a mom, when I had the the days that seem to go on long and that are challenging, like you talk about, I just remember that advice that I had when she was first born. And I, and I even reflect, she's four and a half. So there are things she can do herself now that she couldn't even do two months ago. So I keep trying to remember, as long as they need us, as long as they want to spend time with us, how important that we make the most of every single minute, we be present and we appreciate it and love it, whether it's playing a game or whether it's discipline and correction and the opportunity to help mold who they will be as an adult. Well, I would pray that this one point that we're talking about right now becomes so crystal clear that if we don't have anything else to offer today, this point is something that is golden in the lives of moms. If they're stressed, if they're buying into the culture's uh, thinking that, you know, this is just too hard, you don't need to be doing this, you this is not worth it. All of the lies of the enemy that come through our culture today to moms that try to talk them out of it, it is, it's just that. It's a lie. And there will come a day, just like it did to us. Holy cow, it's hard for me to believe. My baby is now 31 years old, and it, it, it just doesn't seem possible. And we had four kids, and I remember feeling those thoughts that this is so great. I loved it, Marina. I loved it. And I thought, man, this is going to be this way for the rest of my life. And, you know, it, it just isn't. A change has happened. So you've got to do exactly what you're saying. You've got to treasure every day. Be thankful for the opportunities and even the challenges that come in the course of a day. Because there will be a day that that's over. That season's over. And, uh, you know, there are some great seasons still here for us. But uh, I, I sure miss that wonderful time that we had. Yes, and you know, um, I think one struggle I hear a lot of parents talking about and the reason they let their kids watch so much TV is they have so much work to do around the house. And I always say, Mike, for me, that what's worked for me is bringing the kids along into our world. If I have to do laundry, we make it a game. If I have to cook, we do so together. And even when she was as young as two, she could help with so many things. Of course, I had to refold the clothes when she was two, But there are so many things that we can do if we're willing to include our children and really build into the idea of family instead of children and parents, if you know what I mean, Mike, doing things together, not isolating them because they're not old enough to fold their clothes or not old enough to touch a stove, that's fine. Um, There are always things they can do in every process. And for me, that's been a beautiful way of finding meaning and joy in life, Mike, because everything that was a chore before I had Willow is now something we can do together. That's beautiful. Now, when you think back to your own mother, we've got just enough time for uh, your thoughts on this one. What uh, What is the one thing about your mom's, uh, let's say, day-to-day life, maybe her personality, that when you think of, you just smile? 
she loved to have a good laugh. And, you know, she's actually like my daughter. When the two of them get started, they just can't stop laughing, and it gets so out of control. And I think we've all heard someone laugh so hard you can't understand what they're saying, but eventually you just start laughing with them because it's contagious. So that was a sweet bit of my mom's personality that I even see in my daughter, and it brings so much joy to everyone around when they laugh and they show such a love for life. That is so beautiful. That's why I love talking to you. You have this ability to just crystallize these thoughts and they come over succinctly and clearly. Oh my goodness. I know that I'm encouraged by this and reminded of how grateful I am, not only for my own dear mother who I had, uh, this is so amazing and I'm, I'm grateful, but I had my mom, I had her in my life for 69 years. And I realize what a blessing that is. She died at the age of 93. I I will be thinking of her this weekend and missing her more than you can think. But I tell you what, all of you that are there, that have your moms that are listening today, you still have your moms with you. Make it something special. If it can be a a face-to-face Get together, make a memory, just do things together like what Marina's talking about. Maybe you maybe she'll come over and help you with the laundry. Who knows? I mean, do something fun together on Mother's Day if you can get together face to face. If not, then then think about making that FaceTime call, that phone call at minimally and get with them. Don't put it off. This is too important. And Marina, give us how people can get in touch with you to learn more about you and your your books that you've written and the, the studies that you have made available for women. How can people get in touch with you? Yes, if women in the Bible is something that would encourage you or be a gift for a woman, a mom, a sister, a friend in your life, please look me up at womeninthebible.info and you'll be able to access a free video series that goes along with this eight-week study, and you'll find the links to purchasing the book on Amazon or even Mike Lindell's My Store. You'll see it there, the publisher. There's lots of different ways to get the book, and please access the free video and really think about who you can give this book to, because I know, Mike, it's been a gift of life to many women who didn't even know how they could be so inspired and encouraged and comforted by the stories of other women in the Bible, and they can learn how they can be faithful in all that God calls them to do. Uh, That's womeninthebible.info, right? Yes. All right, Dr. Marina Hoffman, thank you for being with me one more time, and we'll be back for one last segment coming up here on Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study, an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back again now for segment three. On the line with me, Nina May. She is a film producer. She leads Renaissance Women. Women. And in addition to that, she is a designer, a a contractor, a person that is able to build houses and design them, build them, and even operate the bobcat to move the dirt around. I'm impressed, Nina. You're a person with many talents. And a wide, a wide palette of abilities. That's incredible. Well, I enjoy it. I have fun with it. It's uh, just I'm always itching to get onto the bobcat for whatever reason. I just love working on it. Well, that is crazy. Now there, there are a lot of people that would say, "How did you go from being on a bobcat and loving to design houses?" to working in films. I mean, that seems like that's on the other end of the creative side of production, but you obviously have bridged that gap somehow. How'd that happen? Well, it's when I see a need that needs to be filled, I just go ahead and do it. And actually the very first film that I did was called Light Fine Tuned. I was producing that film at the same time I was the general manager of the, um, uh, on a construction site. I was the you know, the construction foreman, basically, I guess you could say it. And I'll never forget one day I had two cell phones and on one, I was saying, no, we only need two girls, one goat, make sure the colors are muted. 
to, so that they, you know, match everything else. On the other phone, I said, yes, it's got to be a still beam, 18 inches with the, you know, tensile weight of blah, 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 whatever it was. And I'm looking at the two phones going, I am so happy. Oh, yeah. Well, you could really <laughs> confuse matters if you, if you put those phones on the wrong right. ear. That could really be confusing for the people. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? You talking about a goat? What's that all about? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is this all about? Well, I know that you're working, you've worked on a lot of films. I've read a little bit about ERR and the follow up mm-hmm. to that. And uh, do you, do you pronounce that? Do you just say error? Is that how or er? Is that how you say that? Or well, is... it's yes, E R R. It stands for Emancipation, Revelation, Revolution. Right. And that was about the history of the civil rights movement in America, and the role that both parties have played, and what happens to conservative blacks who leave that liberal plantation and identify with the party of Lincoln, and how they're treated and they're vilified and called names and everything by the Democrats who are still the racist party in America. They're still the party of slavery. They're still the party of oppression. Yeah, and um, so that's why I, I did the movie, and then I did the sequel called Reparations: Who Should Pay. And we did that, gosh, those years ago when no one was really talking about reparations, but I knew they would one day. I knew at some point they're going to try and figure out a way that they can get one part of the country to pay for another part. It's, it's redistribution of wealth, and now that the sub, the um, socialists are in charge of practically everything, we are seeing that being instituted, the whole redistribution of wealth, and that's what reparations is. And I'll even say, I'm for reparations, but here's who should pay, the Democrat Party, because the Democrat Party divided this nation on the issue of slavery. They literally started their own country, their own flag, their own currency, their own president, their own uh, constitution, their House of Representatives, everything. They were a separate nation, and the thing that separated them from the North was the issue of slavery, and mm. and they fought a war to keep slavery alive. Yet somehow they're convincing their uh, black constituents that the Republicans are the racists, and that couldn't yeah. be further from the truth. The Republican Party was actually founded as an abolitionist party in 1854. That was the only reason for the party to be founded. They had nine planks in the first platform. Six of them dealt with emancipation, equal rights, civil rights, voting rights, non-segregation. And at the same time they're doing that, you have the the Democrats who have now rejoined the the Union after a battle and many, many, many deaths. And they've rejoined, and they founded the KKK. It's a terrorist arm of their party. Mm. And a lot of people don't know that. And Mm. again, they try and say that the the KKK is part of the the, um, Republican Party. It's not at all. It's exactly the opposite. So I've, I've always, and I'm not an apologist for the Republicans, but I, because I think they're knuckleheads on this. They've got an amazing rich history, and they never ever talk about it. They just sort of cower in fear because they don't know the truth. They don't know what the facts are. So, you know, they're going to be beaten up. So that's another reason I I did this movie. I said, as a Republican, I was tired of being called a racist, especially because I knew where the bodies were buried and I knew what the but the truth of the history was. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage every Republican to get our movie. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see another movie, a, a short, it's about two minutes with um, Joe Biden. And he's at the, the funeral for Robert Byrd, who was a Klegel of the KKK. And he's being honored by the modern Democrat Party. This is not something that happened 100 years ago. This is current. This is our sitting president, Honoring a member of the KKK, yet they call the Republicans racist. It's crazy right now what's going on, and you wonder how in the world, what what in the world would our our grandparents be thinking if they were alive to see this, right? Yeah, well, the thing is, it's up to us to not be intimidated and not be marginalized, and that's what they like to do. They like to carve people out and put them on little plantations and little fiefdoms that they can control. We, they want us to be compliant. Well, what we need to do is not be compliant to what their rules are, because their rules are just arbitrary, and they keep making them up as they go along. You know, and I mean, everything that they make up just comes out of whole cloth. You go, where did you come up with that? And what they are, I call them beta tests. They're testing us to see if we're going to push back and not comply with what their demands are. Take, for example, something silly like the, um, the plastic straws. They got everyone, oh, you can't do plastic straws. They tried every other kind of straw, the paper straw, the noodle straw, the metal straw. None of them were working. And suddenly everybody said, well, that's probably not going to work. So, you know, we're not doing the plastic straws. And at the same time, you've got all this homelessness 
in these horrible, filthy, and you know, infested areas in the streets. And you're thinking, okay, great, I've got a plastic straw, but they're destroying the environment with the way that they're living here. I mean, they're polluting the, the drinking water, and they're, it's, a, it's a breeding ground for all kinds of diseases and stuff. No one says anything about that. So it really isn't about the environment with these people. It really isn't about plastic straws. It's about trying to and forcing people to do what they want and becoming compliant and becoming malleable whatever their, mm-hmm. their goals are, whatever they decide is their agenda, they want you to be a part of it. And and heaven forbid that you use the wrong pronoun, the wrong word, and say the wrong thing. Well, you know what? Let's just use whatever pronouns we want to. We'll use whatever words we want to. We're Americans after all. We have the First Amendment. We have God on our side. I mean, seriously, if you if you give up your freedom and your liberty, you deserve to not have freedom and liberty. So I'm not playing. <laughs> you know, I think America played along, if you will, during the pandemic. And that seems to be like what you talked about. You you mentioned this thing almost like a beta test where it's like a trial yes. balloon and you send up a you send up the balloon to see if it's going to catch any current. And, and man, that that right. one did. It caught a lot of current. People laid exactly. down their rights. And in mm-hmm. very short order, it didn't take long for the progressive swing Not long at all. Yeah, to sweep right over and say, hey, we're in control now. And, and now they're talking about uh, this whole thing that's going on with California, the reparations that are, they're talking about mm-hmm. being paid. I, I'm trying to understand how in the world does California, and, and apparently the governor out there is being quite silent about all of this, how are they talking about paying these millions per person it's just unbelievable well they're going to be taking from the white families and give to the black families it's as racist as it gets i mean this is exactly what the democrats did when they segregated the schools when they segregated communities and and churches and everything they're constantly segregating constantly dividing the nation along color lines they've not stopped in 100 and over 160 years it's the same democrat party and i always ask my black friends, and I say, how how can a black be a Democrat? How can they possibly belong to the party of the Confederacy, the party of of um, Jefferson Davis and and uh, slavery and slaveholders and the KKK and and segregation and on and on? I mean, I don't understand how they can do it. So I I have always said, listen, I'm for reparations, but here's who should pay the Democrat Party. You should tack that bill to the door of the DNC and say you should pay every dime of reparations to all the people's families who were impacted by the slavery that you insisted be continued in this country. Wow. Again, dividing the nation on the issue of slavery. So I, here's here's my point. Let's have this discussion, because in having this discussion, the truth is going to come out about what this party is and who they are. And the truth is going to come about out about the reason the Republican Party was founded the way it was. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they'll actually start talking about the truth. Now, when you, uh, I know you were very involved in the January 6th event. You were there that day, and we've talked about uh, the uh, issues that took place in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th. Well, I need to clarify, I was there with my film crew. I was not, you know, part of the... Oh, absolutely, right. Yes. Or anything like that. So we're, we have my film crew there. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking that what they're going to do after now, they have all the evidence available to them. I think that a lot of these cases are going to be quietly shoved aside because there's too much proof. And what we've been screaming for two years about, release the video, release the video, release the security tape so that we can see them and we can piece together what actually happened. And isn't it amazing, ever since Tucker started showing those, it, it just sort of died. Nobody's talking about January 6th again because they know that there's the proof that it was a setup. The doors were unlocked by the leadership of the House and the Senate. They were in on it. They knew exactly what was going on. They just overplayed their hand. They set things in motion an hour earlier than things really happened. You know, that the, the guards, the SWAT teams were shooting flashbangs into the crowd, a peaceful crowd, while the president was still speaking. He was still speaking for another 25 minutes after they claimed the breach happened. Mm. How did he incite that? That doesn't make a bit of sense. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, 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 sly, they're slowly and quietly slinking off into the dark because they know that the, the facts are going to come out against them, and they're all going to look very, very guilty. No one's going to put them in jail because nobody really cares that much. 
But Nancy Pelosi is as guilty as they come. Don, do you believe that the current uh, House, led by Republicans, do you think it's going to make a big difference in the next two years? I hope so. And I hope that if people, if they don't, that the people who elected them will unelect them and get someone that will. And we don't, we don't have the luxury of losing one vote in the House on any issue. And look at how the Democrats are absolutely lockstep on everything. It doesn't matter what it is. They're lockstep on it. They are a one-party rule um, concept. It's basically whatever they say, whatever that party says to do, every one of those those uh, representatives will have to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, who are they representing? They're not representing their constituents. They're not representing their, their counties and their states. They're representing the Democrat Party. And fortunately, good news, bad news is the Democrat—I mean, the Republicans are exactly the opposite. They go, okay, what does my constituency want? And they might go on some, you know, be for one issue one day and against another one another day. They're back and forth. They look at each issue, and they're looking at what their constituents want. And so it's it's frustrating for us. We're up against this leviathan of a one-party, you know, rule, this draconian thing that they've got. And if we lose one vote, it's it's over. I and mean, what do we have, a four-vote um, majority? Four votes. That's yeah. like nothing. Yeah, right. Now, there are many people who are saying that this next 24 is going to be swinging even wider. We'll just have to wait and see. But uh, one thing we know, speaking of swinging open wider, it looks like the gates into America is going to be even wider at the border than before with with this big change is coming is what is it? Title 42 is ending. And now there's uh, a lot of people who are, are quite concerned about uh, our constitutional republic that we have right now, whether or not we can survive this. So God have mercy on us, and we need people who are bringing out what uh, is another side than what we're a lot of people are hearing. So thank you for what you're doing yeah. to draw attention, Nina. Well, we all have to do what we have to do. If we don't, our republic is over. It's done. Put a fork in it. Yeah. But but yeah, the, the southern border, that's a that's a frightening situation because people from all over the world are coming through that border. And not all of them want to, you know, an opportunity at freedom and liberty. A lot of them have an agenda and a lot of them have been placed there by foreign nationals. And I think our CIA our CIA knows about it and our government knows about it. And um it's it's an insurrection as far as I'm concerned. They think the the stuff that happened on the Capitol Hill is an insurrection. No, this is absolutely an invasion of our southern border and an insurrection. Because these people that we have elected to defend, they they put their hand on the Bible or in the air, wherever they put it, and they swear to uphold the Constitution. And the Constitution says that you will defend us against, or the oath says you'll defend us against enemies foreign and domestic. That's right. So, you know, and we've got it on both ends, foreign and domestic. And these people should be sent out of office, taken out of office, impeached, whatever you do to get elected officials that aren't, you know, upholding their oath of office. Get them out and get people in that understand what, it's, what it means to be an American. Nina May, it's always great talking with you. I'm out of time. Friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 